I'm going to pray for us as we come to God's Word. Some words from Isaiah 66, verse 2. Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Father, how we pray that you would give us humble hearts this morning and indeed in all of life. And that as we come before your word, we would tremble in the knowledge that our Creator and our Savior is speaking. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and lives that are willing to put into practice and obey all that you say. For Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen. Now, most of us, uh, I think, find it difficult to admit when we're wrong. Is that fair to say? We find it difficult to admit when we are in the wrong, when children maybe are challenged by their parents or, or husbands challenged by their wives or, or when a Christian pulls up another Christian, sees something in their life that's not quite right and are challenged, we find it hard to admit that we're wrong. When the Bible is being taught and God himself exposes something in our hearts that is not quite right, it's difficult to admit that we're the ones that get it wrong. And that's not just true of Christians, it's true of all people and it's true in all of life. I came across these words recently uh, that were found on a genuine insurance claim form, i.e. someone crashed their car and this is what they wrote on their report. On leaving home, I pulled out my drive and drove straight into a bus. But it wasn't my fault because the bus was five minutes early. We giggle because it's such a ridiculous excuse. Yet, we all have a tendency to do the same thing. We're quick, aren't we, to justify ourselves? to excuse ourselves, maybe just to, to push the blame onto other people, and rather than accepting that we got it wrong, that we hold up our hands and say, do you know what, the problem's in here, the problem's with my heart, the issue lies with me, it's my fault, and I'm sorry. Which is why the parable before us this morning is so, so relevant for us all. Because the key message of the parable is this, when it comes to God, and when it comes to our sinfulness before God, we need to admit that we are in the wrong. And the wonderful conclusion of this parable in verse 14 is that when we do that, and when we ask God for mercy, God will hear, and God will forgive. It's a story about two men, two prayers, and two destinies. Both these men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, go up to the temple to pray. One is heard by God and one isn't. One is forgiven by God and one isn't. And we take it that one goes to be with God in heaven and one doesn't. And the big shock of this parable is which way round it is, who it is who goes home justified and forgiven before God. 
Have a look how the parable ends in verse 14. I tell you that this man, referring to the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. We have two men. We have two prayers that reveal the hearts of these two men. And we have two destinies. And so firstly, the two men. Have a look down at verse 9 and verse 10. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the Pharisees have a pretty bad uh, press in our day. They're, they're the pantomime villains, if you like, of the New Testament. When you, when you come across them in the Gospel, it feels instinctively like you need to boo them as they walk onto the scene. And when you see these guys pictured in the, in the children's Bibles, they're often pictured with a, with a shifty look on their face. These are the ones that are often pictured as the baddies. And there is a reason for that. But actually, in Jesus' day, they were models of respectability. They were moral, hard-working men, often generous in their giving and devoted to the things of God. These are regular churchgoers. These are the, the barriers of our day, as we thought about in the children's talk. In fact, these are the sorts of men that most people would be happy for their daughters to marry. Fine, moral, upstanding men who loved going regularly to church. Yet these are the very people who Jesus is addressing in verse 9. Those who are prone to look down on other people and are absolutely convinced that they're okay with God because they've led a good life. That's the Pharisee. And then we have the tax collector, who we often tend to sympathize with, but actually, as Dubby's mentioned already, they were the baddies, if you like. They were the, they were the traitors. They were the thieves. It was their job to collect money, to collect the taxes from their own people and give it to the Roman government. The very people who had invaded and were now occupying their land. The enemy, if you like. And these tax collectors worked for the enemy. And not only that, they were creaming a little bit off the top in order to line their own pockets. And as a result, they were hated and avoided by their own people. In fact, to have a tax collector in your family would have been a public disgrace. Yet as we've seen already, the big shock of this parable is that this is the man who goes home justified before God. The traitor and the thief is the one who leaves forgiven. And it becomes clear why in the verses that follow. Because their two prayers reveal two very different kinds of heart. A proud heart in the Pharisee and a humble heart in the tax collector. First, you have a look how the Pharisee prays. Verse 11 and verse 12, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Or to paraphrase, thanks God that I'm so great. That's basically the prayer of this man, isn't it? 
Here is a proud man who loves to exalt himself. He loves to talk about himself and he loves to celebrate himself, all that he's done and all that he is. And you can see that, can't you, in his posture. He's standing apart from others because he thinks he's better than others. He thinks he's superior to other people. And you don't just see it in his posture. You see it also in his prayer. Firstly, in verse 11, look at what he says. He says, I am not. I'm not like others. All those other people, like that tax collector. You can imagine him, can't you? This proud Pharisee, as he stands there maybe with his his chest puffing out, and as he looks around at all these others who are, are gathering in the temple courts that day, and he gives himself a little pat on the back, and he turns to prayer, and he thanks God, but he's not like these other people. He's not messed up like they have. His life is so superior, he thinks, to theirs in every way. No, this guy's put himself in the sorted category. He thinks he's okay with God because of the way that he measures himself against other people. Now, I'm sure that we don't actually pray like that, but we're certainly not immune from thinking like that, or even at times behaving like that. How easy it is to look around and compare ourselves with other people, how they live, what they're living for, how they speak, what they wear, things maybe that they've done in the past, the way that they're living even now. And as we compare ourselves with them, we end up feeling quite good about ourselves, don't we? The Bible calls that pride. And it's an incredibly dangerous thing. As C.S. Lewis says in one of his books, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. It's what proud people do. From their lofty, exalted position, they look down on other people. They think that they're superior. And because they spend their time comparing and looking down, they fail to look up and see the glory of God and see how far short they fall of the glory of God in their own hearts and lives, just like the Pharisee in the story. Firstly, the Pharisee thanks God. He says, I'm not like these other people. But then secondly, in verse 12, the second part of his prayer, he says, I am. I am an absolute legend when it comes to keeping the law. See that in verse 12? I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. You see, this guy doesn't ju just do what's required of him. He goes way beyond. The law actually prescribed only one fast a year on the Day of Atonement. This guy's fasting twice a week. That's how religious he is. The law only prescribes tithing certain things. This guy gives a tenth of everything he's got. He's meticulous when it comes to keeping the law. He doesn't just keep it so he thinks. He goes way beyond what the law requires. Yet, at the same time, he is blind to the failings in his own heart and his very real need for forgiveness. He thinks he's okay with God, but he's not. He's like the man who goes to the, the doctors for his monthly checkup and he wanders in and takes his seat and the doctor says, oh, 
Good to see you again. How are you doing this month? And he gets himself comfortable. Off he goes. And he says, yeah, I'm doing all right, actually. Doing really well. Fantastic. Went for a 10K run this morning. PB, heart and lungs, they're obviously working well. And do you know what? I'm eating like a horse at the minute. My digestive system must be absolutely first class. And I tell you what, my vision, eyes like a hawk, me. 2020 vision, I can spot everything. Man of my age, my ears should be failing, but not me. I pick up every single thing and on and on he goes, reeling off all his physical attributes and qualities that are absolutely spot on. But as he does that, he then wraps up by saying, thanks for listening, Doc. See the same time next month. And he gets up and he leaves without listening to what the doctor has to say. He has spent the whole time speaking about himself, bigging himself up and how good he is, how well his body's working, that he failed to listen to the one man he needed to listen to, the doctor, who knows better. And he failed to listen to what the doctor had to say and he walked out of that room as if everything was okay. He thought he was, but he wasn't. That's the Pharisee, right? He thinks he's sought and he can't help talk about himself, but he does not stop long enough to listen to the good doctor of the human heart, to the Lord Jesus, and what we've done against him. As J.C. Ryle says in his commentary, never are people's hearts in such a helpless condition as when they are not aware of their own sin. By the way, before we move on too quickly, we need to realize that there's actually a bit of the Pharisee in us all. We're often pretty good, aren't we, at spotting the flaws and the failings in other people. We, we see the things that they do wrong and we see that pretty quickly, actually. But at the same time, we're slow to see those same failings and those same flaws in our life. That is the Pharisee. But before we rush on, we need to say that can also be us to different degrees. But in contrast, look at the prayer of the tax collector in verse 13. You see the contrast? The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. He stands at a distance because he knows that he's not worthy to approach God. And such is his shame because of his sin. He can't even force himself to look up to heaven. Instead, like a convicted criminal in the dock, he hangs his head in absolute shame. He's helpless, he's broken, he knows he's done wrong, and he beats his breast, which is a deep sign of sorrow and grief. This guy is not grieving the loss of a loved one. He's grieving his own sin. He's realized in his heart how he's treated his God. And his prayer isn't me-centered, it's God-centered. And he's not offering God his works like the Pharisee. He's asking God for mercy. He knows that more than anything else, he needs forgiveness. And interestingly, the word mercy that you see there in verse 13 literally means atone for. It's a word that we associate with sacrifice. Please, Lord, atone for my sin. Please, Lord, turn your anger away. Please, Lord, do not treat me as my sins deserve. 
And of course, all of this took place in the temple courts where twice a day, every day, a lamb was sacrificed to atone for the sin of the people. That's the backdrop to this man's prayer. Sin, sacrifice, and mercy. Thankfully today, we don't need to go to a temple to offer sacrifices to atone for our sin. We just need to go to Jesus. We don't go to a place, we go to a person. We go to our great Savior who was sacrificed on a cross once for all time to take away the sin of those who would come in faith to the Lord Jesus and say sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry God. I've got it so badly wrong. Please have mercy on me, a sinner. And that brings us to the final heading this morning. Two men, two prayers that reveal two very different hearts, a proud heart and a humble heart. And then lastly, two destinies. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, i.e. the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves like the Pharisee will be humbled. And those who humble themselves like the tax collector will be exalted. It's a shocking reversal, isn't it? This would have been shocking to the ears of those who were first listening. The moral, upstanding Pharisee who exalts himself, who looks the part, will be humbled. While the humble tax collector who knows he's got it badly wrong, will be exalted. Both men go to the temple to pray, but only one goes home justified and forgiven before God, and it wasn't the Pharisee, it was the tax collector. And so the question I need to ask us all this morning is this. Have you ever asked God to forgive you in the way the tax collector did? Have you? Or are you seeking a righteousness of your own that will never be enough? Maybe you've been sat there in church for years like the Pharisee. You're moral and upstanding. You attend a home group every week. Doing the right thing really matters to you. But you've never beat your breast like the tax collector. You've never admitted your sin. You've never confessed it before God and held up your hands and said, Lord God, I'm sorry. My heart is wayward and wicked and I need your forgiveness and there's nowhere else to go. Please, Lord, please have mercy on me, a sinner. If that is you and you've never done that, you've never expressed it, like that before God, with a real contrition and understanding of sin, then please could I encourage you to not leave this morning without following in the footsteps of the tax collector. Because the wonderful conclusion of this parable in verse 14 is that the tax collector got what he asked for, didn't he? He asked for mercy. And that's exactly what he got. Last week we had a prayer for justice. The widow, unjust judge, and that was granted by God. This week, we have a prayer for mercy, which God again in his goodness 
answers. Mercy will be given. That's a promise. Grace will be given. Forgiveness will be granted to those who are humble enough to ask Jesus for it. And so the question remains, have you ever asked God to forgive you in the way the tax collector did? Or like the Pharisee, are you still seeking a righteousness of your own that will never be enough? Let me give you a moment to consider, and then I'll pray, and then we'll sing in response.